One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Good to be able to be back with you again. Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace and goodness in our lives. We thank you that we belong to you and that you have incredible, incredible things for us. I just pray, Lord, today for every single person in this room and those that will listen later or watch later, that, Father, that you will grip our hearts and uh, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Justin. <laughs> Great to be able to be with you guys again. And I've got my sweetheart with me this morning as I try to do. She was sitting back further back. I was like, where'd she go? I thought, did I do something wrong? And she didn't go <laughs> to come see. And, uh, but uh, anyway, it's great to be able to be with you. Y'all are in this series, Temple, making space or making room for God to move. Do you know there are things that you and I can do that attract God to us? That attract God to us. You know, I, I think it's, it's funny because sometimes we get so consumed with the natural that we fail to understand that there is another dimension, the supernatural. And yet, there are things in the natural that overlap into the supernatural. When you pray, do you realize that you're doing something in the natural that actually overlaps into the supernatural? It's not just words. You are literally connecting with the power and the presence of God. When you fast, when you fast, it's interesting. Jesus says this three times. In Matthew 6, he says, first of all, when you pray, when you fast, fasting doesn't, I, I've said this before, I don't like fasting. I don't enjoy fasting. If you do enjoy fasting, you need to lay hands on me. I don't. I, I do fast, but I don't like fasting. And usually you don't like fasting either. I've talked to enough of you. When you're in the middle of fasting, you feel miserable. You don't feel good. Sometimes your head hurts, you know, your body feels yucky, you're not motivated, you don't have energy, and you're like, what good is this doing? Do you know something? When, you, when you're fasting, it is an act of humbling yourself, and when you humble yourself, you become attractive to God. It's a natural practice that overlaps into the arena of the supernatural. And here's the third thing that Jesus said that when you do, I'm drawn to. When you give. When you give. Do you realize that it's not just your money? A while ago we were receiving an offering, and I love the way you all say it. We believe at one church that our giving is a natural expression of thanksgiving and worship to God for His grace and goodness in our lives. It is an act of worship. Our giving is a natural thing we do that overlaps into the supernatural. If there's anything that you need and I need, we need God. Okay, I need God. I need God in my life. I need God in my business. I need God in my ministry. I need God in my family. I need God in every area of my life. And we cannot live a day without experiencing him and drawing on his strength. When Moses said, and I'm going to bring this into where we're going to go today, because we're going to go to another dimension, another aspect of things that you can do in the natural that actually overlap into the supernatural, and that is worship. That is worship. There are practices that we actually participate in that become a supernatural connection or flashpoint for God's power. And worship is one of those things. You know, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there are seven Hebrew words for praise. 
Every one of those Hebrew words for praise actually unfolds an aspect of our coming to God. You know, the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. He's good. And these seven Hebrew words, every one of them are, are an aspect. The first word, yada, means the, literally the thrusting up of the hands. Uh, todah, the sacrifice of praise. We offer that, the, the sacrifice of praise. Todah, yada, the thrusting up of the hands. Halal, to, to act clamorously foolish. It, it literally means to dance and spin around. Sometimes you see people do that, you're like, isn't that a little weird? No, it's in the Bible. Shabbat, to shout unto God with a voice, lift up your voice and shout. Justin was quoting a verse scripture just a few minutes ago, clap your hands all you people. It goes on to say, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shabbat. Zemar, to, to play skillfully upon the instruments. All of these Hebrew words are connected to practical, natural things that you and I do that actually create an atmosphere for the supernatural power of God. In other words, when you come in here, you know, if you come in here with your hands in your pockets and you're only thinking about, well, I wish this, oh, what fun is this? Man, we need to hurry up and get on with this thing so I can get out of here. That's not participating. That's not connecting. But when you literally step in and you, you are willing to say, you know what? The word todah means a sacrifice. I, don't, I may not feel like worshiping this morning. In fact, I, I, I just, I don't want to lift up my hands, but I do it anyway. God, you're worthy. You're worthy of my praise. Lord, I open up my mouth, and I don't feel like praising you this morning, but I open up my mouth, and I praise you because you are good, and you've been good in my life, and I just lift up my hands, and I open up my mouth, and I give you a sacrifice of praise. And when I do that, it isn't very long before you, as you participate in that very natural, practical activity before the supernatural power of God begins to invade that space. And what began in the natural with absolutely no feeling and was just raw sacrifice, soon you're like, whoa, I sense the presence of God. God is coming among us. That's an amazing, amazing thing. I literally have the ability to do something in the natural that connects with the supernatural. I literally have some, the ability in the natural to, to do something about my circumstance that creates a magnetism for the supernatural power of God to invade my life. And if you need anything and I need anything, we need the supernatural power of God. So I want to teach you this morning just for a few minutes, and it's more than teaching, it's an impartation. My prayer is this, that by, by, by talking about this, by, I, I, I can't teach you how to worship, okay? I can teach you how to praise, but I can't teach you how to worship. Worship is something that springs out of my heart. An old sage set by a river contemplating on God. As he sat there, a young man watching him came up and said, how do I find God? The old sage just looked at him and went back to what he was doing before. The young man repeated, how do I find God? Without saying a word, the old sage grabbed him by the back of the head and pulled, put his head under the water. And held it there, and held it there, and held it there. And he was kicking and screaming. And finally, just at the last second, he pulls him up. Why did you do that? When you want God like you wanted that breath, you'll find God. The fact of the matter is this. We talk about knowing and experiencing and meeting with God, and yet the root of all of it comes down to how bad do we really want God? Do we really desire God? You see, everything in the natural is connected to something that is a picture of the supernatural. And Jesus said, it, this, you know, the, the, the man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What was he doing? He was connecting something, the Word of God, to food, to natural food. 
You eat every day. God made it so you eat every day so that you understand your dependence and your need for the Word of God. But isn't it interesting that when it comes to breathing, how many times a day do you suppose you breathe? But every breath is meant to be a picture of your need and my need for the presence of God. You see, the word pneuma is the breath of God. What you need and I need is the breath of God in our life. We need the presence of God. We need to maintain a passion for the presence of God. Listen, when you come to church and you gather as the community of believers, we need God to show up. It's not enough for us just to show up. We need God to show up. Listen, if we show up and God doesn't show up, there's no use in us showing up. The only reason we gather is so that we can meet with God. Yes, we connect with each other. We experience relationship with each other. But more important than our relationship with one another is our relationship with God. And there is a corporate context to which that's realized. It's also a private context. You see, tomorrow morning you don't have the privilege of being together with believers and worshiping God. You don't have the privilege probably of having a worship band at your house. I don't think you do. You might put on a nice CD and you might be listening to some music on your iPhone or something. But the fact of the matter is this, that when it comes to the presence of God, you desperately need the presence of God. I need the presence of God. We can do something in the natural that can become attractive to that. So I want to I get into this subject today. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 9 Notice what the psalmist says here. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. (coughs) Pardon me. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Worship. We worship. We oftentimes, when we think and talk about worship, we talk about it as it connects to a particular song or a particular experience that may have happened. But may I be quick to say that worship is about a lot more than the songs that we sing. Yes, I I am grateful for the incredible way in which we are led in worship. But the fact of the matter is this, that worship is not just about songs that are being sung Uh, by somebody that has skillfully prepared themselves to lead us. That's not what worship really is. That's a, a facilitator of worship, but that in of itself is not worship. Worship is my individual heartfelt response and desire for God. That's what worship is. So whether the worship team is playing and singing or not, I can worship. Whether I've got any facilitation towards my worship, I can still worship. Because worship is my heart desiring God. How much do we want God? Do we want God like that young man needed and wanted his breath? You see, there's nothing more important in our lives. There's no higher calling. There's no greater objective than to be a worshiper. You were, if you were created for anything, it was to be a worshiper. 10,000 things you do on planet Earth. And one day, they'll all disappear. But your worship will go on for eternity. 
Worship is the continuation of everything that happens in, throughout eternity. Worship. Read the book of Revelation. A.W. Tozer says it this way. And I love this. I, I think the beautiful picture is, is, is that of how many of you are married or engaged to somebody or pursuing somebody. You see, the picture of human relationship is actually a picture of us and our relationship with God. But he says this, to have found God and still pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. I've been married for 40 plus years to my beautiful wife, and I still chase her. And I still love. Why? Listen, could it be said that I found her, that I have her? Yes. But I want to still be pursuing her. Why? Because I love her. This week I saw Jordan, our oldest son. He was walking into the house and he was carrying a bouquet of flowers. My first response to him was this, son, is that a peace offering or a pursuit offering? <laughs> it's usually one of the other, one of the two. He said, well, I, I need a lot of peace offerings, but this was actually pursuit. But here he is, he's married, but he's still pursuing you see, that's the way it is in worship with God, that you encounter God and you meet God and you experience the amazing sense of His presence and power, and yet there's still this yearning in your soul to know God. Paul says it this way to the Philippians, I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. Did he not know Him? Yes, he knew Him. But no matter how much he knew him, he still wanted to know him more. No matter how much you've experienced of God, you still want more of God. For no matter how many times you encounter God, you still long for him. No matter how deeply you know him, you still want to know him more. This is worship. You see, it's a deep inward cry to know God to be near Him, to pour out your soul to Him, to be so captivated by His beautiful presence that you're willing to pay any price or make any sacrifice to find what your soul longs for. This is worship. You see, it's not worship just because I sing some songs. It's worship because I have a passionate heart after God that I'm longing to know you, God, was thinking this morning as we were singing, and I was saying, oh, God, how I need you. Oh, how I need you. Oh, how I need you. Oh, how I long for you. You see, what God is after, he's after worshipers. What God responds to, he responds to worshipers. To live every day with a white, hot, burning passion for God's presence, to love God so deeply that He has eclipsed every other desire, every other pursuit, and has become what my dear English friend Dave Fellingham called our magnificent obsession, our magnificent obsession. You see, that's what God wants from all of us. You see, when we cultivate a heart like that, that's why when Justin was saying this morning that, you know, in prayer time, that sometimes we get filled with so many other things. You see, if you want to be filled with God, you can't fill your life with all the rest of the world. And it isn't like, okay, I have to deprive myself in that way. Can I be honest with you? When you find God and He fills you, you have found that that your soul desires more than anything else in the world. That's why the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. You see, what you and I think we need is not really what we need. We think we need more stuff. What we really need is God. What we need is God. And there's nothing wrong with stuff. But let me tell you this, stuff always takes a back seat to God when you encounter the presence and the power of God. Always takes a back seat. Lord, I, I love you more than I love anything else. Thank you for all the stuff you give me, but I love you. I love you. 
That's worship. God is after that from us. And so we must cultivate that. Psalm 1611, Justin quoted it earlier, you made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When Moses was about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, he had one request. Lord, if your presence goes with me, we'll go. But if you don't go with me, we don't want to be there. Because the promised land, listen, the promised land is not the promised land apart from the presence of God. Everything you want is not what you want apart from the presence of God. When you spend your life chasing stuff and you don't find God, you still are empty. Why? Because that God-shaped vacuum on the inside of all of us longs to be filled with the presence of God. And it's only as we pursue Him, only as we yearn for Him and long for Him and look for Him with every fiber of our being that we experience Him. How many of you have a dog? We have a dog, Percy. Well, it's not actually our dog. It's Jordan and Jennifer's dog. But he's a really good dog. You know, some dogs are demon-possessed, <laughs> or at least they're not saved. I'll just put it this way. But this dog, this dog is filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, maybe not, but he sure acts like it. He sure produces the fruit of the Spirit. I'll put it that way. So Percy, Percy shows up, this beautiful little chocolate labradoodle, shows up, and he'll come up to me, and he just looks at me. And he'll lick my hand. And he just looks at me. He'll lay his head on me. He just lays there. It's the sweetest thing. I said, Percy, you are an amazing, amazing dog. I didn't even like dogs till we got you. <laughs> but you see, Hebrew for worship is shakal. As a dog licks his master's hand. There's something so amazing when I look into that dog's eyes as he's looking at me or looking at Jordan or Jennifer or one of the children. It's, it's just this incredible thing because he's absolutely transfixed with us. Are we transfixed with God? Are we so attracted to God that not what God gives us draws us to him, but who he is draws us to him? That's worship. Worship. R.C. Sproul often, when he was living, spoke and used the phrase quorum Deo, or before God, or before the face of God. And he says, as he describes worship, he says, to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. That's worship. You see, your life is meant to be an act of worship to God. Worship is not a Sunday activity. Worship is a daily expression of my passionate pursuit for God. That's what worship is. There's a beautiful story in the New Testament, and that's where I'm going to focus my thoughts for the next few minutes. In John's Gospel, Jesus tells this story. This actually is in all four of the Gospels. In Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 7, and here in John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Y'all remember Lazarus? Now, this is just a little while after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. You can read, I would encourage you to read all those other accounts, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 7, and, and there's, a, there's comparative that you need to, to, to dig into. Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now this dinner is not at Lazarus' house. It's actually at the house of a man who was a Pharisee whose name was Simon. 
But Simon had had a problem. He had been a leper. And as a leper, of course, he could no longer practice being a priest. He was isolated. His name, he was now known as Simon the leper. According to, how'd you like to your name to be attached to your disease? But that's who he was. And he's giving the dinner. So here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Do you remember Lazarus had two sisters, one named Martha and one named Mary. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary, listen to this, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And I want to just take that passage, if I can, and unpack it for a couple of minutes and draw four principles about what worship really looks like. Here in this incredible, incredible story, I want you to get the picture. Simon the leper, he actually had been cleansed by Jesus. And Jesus is coming back to Bethany. And so Jesus, Simon wants to throw a dinner in Jesus' honor. Can you see that? So he throws his dinner in Jesus' honor. And there were other people around in Bethany that had experienced the touch of the Lord in some amazing ways. One of them was Mary. Mary, we know from these other comparisons in the Gospels, was a prostitute. She was referred to by Simon as a sinful woman. She had quite a reputation, evidently. And it's her brother, Lazarus, who had died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Now, here is this gathering, and I want you to get the heart of this, the heart of this amazing woman, this worshiper, Mary, as she comes into the room. And I want you to get inside her just for a second. I want you to begin to think about what she, what was going on in her mind. Because Jesus, she had encountered Jesus and she had encountered the forgiving, life-changing, life-saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. She had already experienced it. But more than what she would experienced personally in her own life was that of her brother, her brother who had gotten sick and died. And Jesus shows up four days after he dies. And raises him from the dead. Have you ever been in an environment that triggered all of your thinking back? The memories. No doubt as she comes into this room, she comes in and she sees Jesus sitting there. And she's got this expensive perfume. Now, I want, I want to talk about this perfume for just a second. This was a, a extremely expensive perfume. This was literally a year's worth of wages. Now, I've already told you what she did for a living. There was a lot of pain and a lot of disappointment and a lot of heartache that was associated with that that she's carrying in her hands. And here it is. She's got a year's worth of the wages that she had earned living a sinful life. And she comes into this room, and she comes in, she, she comes up behind Jesus, and she's crying. We don't see it in John's account, but we do see it in the other accounts, and she's crying. And she's holding this perfume, and she's crying, and her tears are flowing down so much that they're literally wetting Jesus' feet. What was she thinking? She was no doubt thinking about the life that she used to live and how this Jesus had come into her life and had absolutely not only forgiven her, but had changed her life and changed the course of her life, changed her future. How she used to feel so ashamed. How she used to feel so guilty. How she used to feel less than everybody else. And now 
suddenly value has come to her and it was because of this Jesus that brought her worth and dignity again and she stands there and she's crying. Her tears are falling down on Jesus' feet. No doubt as she stands there, she's thinking about her dear brother, the one who she loved so much. He would have been dead had it not been for Jesus. He would have been in the ground, buried history. But now here he is, resurrected, brought back to life, sitting at the table, and she's thinking about all that Jesus had done. Jesus actually is making a contrast. There's a contrast, and you only see it when you read all four narratives. And the contrast is this. The contrast is between those who are real worshipers, who understand the heart and the essence of what real worship is about, and those who are only casual about it. Because Simon makes a judgment on her. Because Mary ends up breaking this alabaster box of perfume. She breaks it. And she takes it. And this, her, her tears have wet his feet. And now she breaks this thing over his head and opens it up. And pours it out all over him. And Simon, along with some of the rest that were sitting at the table, make a judgment. Isn't it funny how we can so glibly sometimes bring judgment on somebody who worships? Because we don't know their story. You see, the essence of worship really is fully understood with the backdrop of a human story. When I understand what Jesus has done in my life and when I begin to see what God has done and His transforming grace in my life, where would we be without God? Where would we be without an encounter from the Lord? Let me ask you, where would you be today? Some of you wouldn't even be alive. You would be like Lazarus in the ground. You see, worship is connected with the magnificent grace of God in our life that has transformed us from the inside out and changed our future, changed us. I can't say I'm, I'm a worshiper just because I perform activity. I'm a worshiper because my heart is after God. I'm a worshiper because I long to know you and encounter you. And Mary pours out the alabaster box of perfume. And, and Simon the leper, now you would think Simon would be somebody who would really appreciate what Jesus had done. He would have been a leper, and Jesus had cleansed him. You think he would have been full of gratitude and full of worship, yet Jesus says this because he perceives Simon's thoughts. He says, because Simon has this thought. If, G, if he were really a prophet and really was a son of God, he would know what kind of woman this is and who it is that's touching him. And Jesus perceives his thoughts. Simon, I want to tell you a story. A man owed another man a debt. And it was a relatively small debt. And a second man owed that same man a much larger debt, yet he forgave both. Simon, who would be the most grateful? Simon says, I suppose the man who was forgiven the most. You've answered right. For he who has been forgiven much loves much. You see, you and I can never fully come to a place of being a worshiper until we really understand what it is that God has done for us. 
until we understand that had it not been for a grace encounter, my life would be over. Over. You see, here's Mary. She's pouring out her heart, not just her tears, not just her perfume. She is pouring out her heart. That is worship. That is worship. And so Jesus makes the comparison. He said, Simon, when I came into your house, you did not wash my feet. You didn't even give me, offer me water to wash my feet, which on the dusty roads of the Middle East was a common practice of hospitality. If someone came to your house, you washed their feet first. It was an act of humility and an act of welcome hospitality to wash the feet of your guest. You offered me no water to wash my feet, yet this woman has continually washed my feet with her tears since the moment she came in. You offered me no oil to anoint my head, yet she has taken and poured out a costly box of perfume over my head and anointed me. He's making the comparison. Let me just say this. It's easy sometimes to talk about worship, but you can never disconnect worship from the heart of what God has done for you as an individual. You have to remember what it is that God has done. How many times God has worked in your life. How many times the power and the presence of God has transformed your circumstance and your situation. And if you've never been in a situation where you needed God, it's awfully difficult to truly come to a place of full appreciation. But let me just be quick to add, if you've never been there, relax. You will get there. I promise you. You will find sometime a set of circumstances that only God can answer. And that brings me to my first point about worship. All this has been an introduction. No. Worship demonstrates worth. Worship demonstrates worth. You see, she gave. She gave because she loved. It's not hard to give when you love. It's hard to give when you don't love. That's why we receive offerings. It's not so that the church can pay its bills. God could have chosen another way to pay the church's bills if he wanted to. We give. Because we love. We love God. It's an act. It's a tangible expression. It's a practical thing we do that actually invokes the supernatural in our lives. It's a, mag it's a, a magnificent way of expressing our worship before God. Worship demonstrates worth. In 2 Samuel 24, there's been a plague that swept Israel and David, as the king, wants to offer sacrifice. And he goes to a particular man. He's away from Jerusalem. And he goes to this man. And this man's got oxen. And this man's got wood. And he said, here. He said, David, take it. Take the wood. Take the oxen. Make the sacrifice to the Lord so that the plague will be stopped. And David makes this statement. No. I will pay you for it. I will pay you for it. But I don't want your money. I want you just to do it. No, no, no. I insist. I insist on paying for it. Verse 24 says this of chapter 24. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. What was he saying? He was saying that God is worth everything. That my worship before Him, if it costs somebody else but cost me nothing, it's not an act of worship on my part. 
God is bringing me to a place to where I demonstrate my love by my willingness to sacrifice. That's why praise the Bible refers to as a sacrifice in its beginning stages. It says the fruit of our lips, the giving of thanks is the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips. That's why sometimes when you don't feel like it, and your body doesn't want to do it, and you've got a bad attitude about life, the best thing in the world you can do is to open up your mouth and begin to say, God, I don't feel like it right now. My body doesn't want to do it. My mind and my emotions don't want to do it. But God, you know I need it, and I praise you, and I thank you. You've been so good to me, and I begin to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving the fruit of my lips. That's right. When you gather on Wednesday night, some of you may not feel like coming to a worship service. You may have had a bad day at work. Go offer a sacrifice of praise and watch what God will do. No, I insist, David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is that not only does worship demonstrate worth, but worship expresses adoration. It expresses adoration. There's something about this beautiful heart that Mary showed. I mean, there was something screaming out of her as she stands there with tears flowing down her cheeks holding this alabaster box. There's this, this, this depth of her soul that is screaming, oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. And she pours it out. You see, worship is the depths of my soul crying out, oh, God, I love you. Oh, God, I need you. I need you more than anything. I need you more. More than the air I breathe, I need you. I need you more. That's worship. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. I adore you, Lord. The third thing I want you to see from this passage is this, that worship carries feeling. You see, sometimes we get all hung up because we like, well, worship's got to be about more than feeling. Yes, it is about more than feeling, but it's certainly not absent of feeling. Listen, if I just say to my wife, honey, I love you. And I will tell you every single day, multiple times a day, I say, baby, I love you. I love you. There's sometimes I say it as she passes and hit her on the backside. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. There's sometimes I just take her face in my hands and I look in her eyes. Baby, I love you. I'm so glad God brought you into my life. Worship carries feeling in the same way that I express feeling for my precious wife. How much feeling do I express towards God? If you don't feel something in the presence of God, you need to be resurrected from the dead. Lamar Boschman, great worship leader, made this statement. When I worship, I would rather my heart be without words than my words without heart. Isn't that profound? Because you see, I can worship God even without opening up my mouth. There are times of the presence of the Lord it's like my insides will explode. 
<coughs> it's like everything in me is longing for God and the words I speak in the natural, my English language or insufficient to express the gratitude of my heart. That's why sometimes it just bubbles up and comes out in another language, comes out in tongues. I worship, and I worship. That's why the Bible, Paul says it this way to the Romans. He says that when we're worshiping and we encounter God, that the Spirit begins to work in us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't have words because there's feeling and the feeling has eclipsed the puny ability of my language to express everything that I feel. Worship looks like that. That's why in Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God you will not despise. How often I've been in the presence of God, overwhelmed by Him, and I would weep and weep and weep and weep and weep. And I long to know Him. I long to know You, O Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 56, verse 8 says, Record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Do you know what? Every tear you shed, according to the scripture, has been kept in a bottle in heaven. <laughs> Every tear you shed, you fill up the bottles in heaven with your tears in your worship. And then finally, worship affects others. The whole room is filled with the fragrance. The whole room. Do you know something happens in the room when people truly begin to worship? <laughs> the atmosphere changes. I remember times in the presence of God where the music would stop and the singing would stop and the presence of God would be like a cloud hovering over us and nobody moved for an hour or two because we were in the presence of God. The natural had connected with the supernatural. And now everything we long for was present. He was here. You are here. Moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. Moving in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You see, worship is at the core of our loving God, above all else, and loving him enough, like David, to say, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. So as Mary pours out the nard, the fragrance fills the room. Others are affected by it. Do you know that's the way God wants our lives to be? Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us, listen, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. When you are a worshiper, you become a carrier of the fragrance of Christ. You are wearing heavenly perfume. Therefore, let me close with this. Worship. Worship is what Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. With all my heart, the core of my being. 
with all my soul, the fountain of my passions and desires and appetites and affections, with all my strength, my gifts, my abilities, my actions, my purposes and endeavors, and with all my mind, the seed of my thoughts and intelligence, reasoning and sensibilities. That's what worship is. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and I'm going to ask you to stand. If worship is more, is to be more than perfunctory duty, if it's to be more than just a superficial activity, it must first spring from our heart. If worship is to be more than just a formal exercise as a part of a religious gathering, It's got to be first about men and women who have had such a God encounter that they've been changed from the inside out. Father, I worship you this morning. Oh, I long to know you. I confess I have not always been that way. I confess sometimes I pursue other things. I let busy activity consume me more than you. But oh, I love you, Lord. Forgive me for my carnal pursuits. Re-engage me with a passion for your presence. Overwhelm my life the beauty of who you are. Remind me one more time just where I would be had it not been for you. I worship you. I love you. I honor you. I lift you up. Oh, that you would rid the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would touch my heart and touch my life. Make me to be a worshiper, a passionate pursuer, a God chaser, as Tommy Titty says. Make me that. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I want you to open your heart this morning. Our response to this message cannot be anything else but worship. Oh, Jesus. <laughs>